Hello and welcome to the Banker podcast series, Banking in Transition, where we explore how banking has changed through the COVID-19 pandemic and is adapting for the future. In this series, the Banker's editors are interviewing industry experts from around the world to gather insights and advice on specific challenges, best practices and innovations that can help banks and their customers as we move towards a new normal in banking. I'm Kimberly Long, Age Writer at The Banker, and today I'm speaking with Nancy Amert, Director of CGI's Trade Innovation Lab. Thanks for joining us today, Nancy. Thanks, Kimberly. It's a great pleasure to be here and hope you and the listeners are staying safe, healthy, and strong these days. So to begin with, sustainability is a key issue now across banking and trade. Is it possible to have a sustained supply chain and how can this be achieved? So I would just, uh, for starters, and also from a broader supply chain perspective, I think it's important to note that during the initial COVID-19 lockdown in March of 2020, it actually marked the start of a period of uncertainty that eclipsed even the global financial crisis of 2008 to 2009. So that's really important to kind of understand that from a backdrop perspective of where are we and where are we going? Um, So during that time period, Treasures really quickly became risk adverse. They were drawing on their credit facilities quickly to protect their businesses from the effects of a possible liquidity crunch. At that point, trade just plummeted. I work in trade finance and I saw the numbers and the demand patterns shifted dramatically too. So while global supply chains um, were significantly disrupted, there was a response to the crisis as many companies actually really pivoted and they approached their suppliers to extend payment terms. And while this approach would appear to offer initial benefits to some of the larger buyers, it simply just moved the liquidity stress even further into the supply chain. A lot of people don't realize that that happened. So often suppliers with less access to financing ended up actually driving even further instability into the supply chain. So to correct this, basically, I can say that I'm happy to see based upon a lot of the numbers and certainly um, the uh, the anecdotal type of information that I work with in our trade lab is that there's a huge expansion in the number of corporations setting up and expanding supply chain financing programs and their use of SCF and trade platforms to access credit from multiple providers is increasing as well. So throughout this period, the banks really have helped to overcome obstacles and provide liquidity and expanding these supply chain programs. And that's really helping across the board. It's simplifying and digitalizing the supplier onboarding as well. Um, And, you know, quite honestly, when you look back over our shoulders, we probably all have a banker to thank today. Uh, They helped us get through the crisis. They're helping us to get through this ongoing pandemic. So I suggest maybe to the listeners, you know, find a banker and buy them a coffee today. Sounds like a good idea, I'm sure. Um, So the bankers certainly still have such an important role to play. So what do you think will happen next? So really looking at this year, 2021, and how it's progressed, the supply chain disruption really did start to ease as people really got a chance to really understand this new reality. And with the exception of industries that were particularly hard hit in the pandemic, and I'm talking about things like tourism, hospitality, travel, Um, you got a chance to see that a lot of the treasurers and CEOs were sitting back and saying, okay, let's repay these facilities. Um, And that actually interestingly led to like an influx of market liquidity. So it's actually kind of an interesting time to be in as well, because with that, um, but there's, you know, there's still a, a, you know, fresh in the minds of a lot of people is the fact that the pandemic is still going on. And so managing supply chain risks still remains a priority. 
But I will kind of point out to the listeners too that what's changed is that treasurers are choosing to manage those risks. Um, in particular, they're looking at different types of digital tools to accelerate and reduce like friction within the supply chain. They're addressing a lot of the delays within the supply chain. So they're really like crunching a lot of data and they're working hard at really getting precise as like where some of the bottlenecks are. So, you know, when I'm looking at this from the lab perspective and we're looking at how a lot of our, our corporate clients are looking at developing and implementing digital channels, whether it's web-based or host-to-host, -host, um, in particular for trade and cash has become an even higher priority. So these types of solutions are looking to replace things like the wet signatures that many people who don't work in trade finance don't realize that there's still a requirement in a lot of legal jurisdictions and, and countries for that matter to require an actual ink signature. Um, so that's really bogged down the supply chain. Um, and we're looking to try to work with different jurisdictions and different countries for that matter and trying to get them to shift over to digitalized um, and if you will, EDOC type of formats. Um, the other thing that we're seeing too is like key challenges that remain is really looking at that full digital trade finance agenda. And by what I mean by that is like really looking at this from an end-to-end -end perspective. We're looking at things that also include like rigorous controls against fraud and cybersecurity. So in my opinion, there's really this point where there's the benefits of digitalization that have not been fully realized yet. So one of the things that we're really looking to do again is like looking at those transactions from a full end-to-end -end perspective. And that just means we got a lot of work in front of us because it's gonna include a lot of multiple stakeholders across the board. Given all that's happened so far and what we've really still faced from the pandemic, what do you foresee is happening over the next few years? So Kimberly, that's a great question. It gives me a chance to kind of um, expand on some thoughts that I have. So over the next few years, I think there's opportunities for this really efficient um, level of processing, um, taking a lot of the paper-bound processes out of the equation. And that's a trend that's you know, going to continue. That's where we're going to continue to see companies and banks looking to leverage digital technologies. And that's going to bring about these new levels of efficiency. We're getting better and better at mitigating risk. Um, along with that, there's a lot of different really innovative third-party type of partnerships and also these leading edge types of trade and banking platforms that are all starting to really come to a point or a plateau of productivity. So, you know, this has been the work of the last you know, five to 10 years even is starting to really show that this is, this is taking shape and this is where we're going to be going in the next five to 10 years. So, you know, with this in mind, it's like, I think it's important to also just stop and imagine that if we can actually digitalize all of these paper bound processes, imagine all that paper being removed from, you know, what you could easily say is like a $21 billion marketplace. That alone, if we get all of that paper removed, think about that from a sustainability standpoint and reducing the, even the bank's own carbon footprint. And so digitization is one of the key elements there, really. But what is motivating banks to adopt more sustainable ways of operating? So I think one of the things that I can share is that the good news is that the bank executives, along with these treasurers and CFOs, are focusing on sustainable supply chains. And they're doing this because they really have a focus on their own financial resilience. So we can look at sort of the COVID-19 as like a catalyst in a way but we can also say too that you know climate change is here 
Um, we are seeing that there's a majority of large companies and major banks that have all made public commitments and they've defined their ESG targets, particularly around things like carbon emissions, and they're looking for ways to achieve them. So we know, and I know because I work in trade finance day in and day out, that trade finance plays a very important role in this. They're connecting the funds from the investors and the multilateral agencies, and they're redirecting them or, or targeting them towards supporting ESG initiatives with companies that are part of supply chains that can help them to meet their own ESG targets. So, you know, if you are following the market, you'll see like the activity related to green bonds, especially in Europe, green loans is really coming to the forefront, green supply chain financing, which is what I like to call it in the marketplace. It's more like sustainable supply chain financing. So, you know, all of this combined, you know, really the best part of this is, you know, why they're doing this is because, Number one, it's going to potentially provide more competitive terms across the board um, to the participants, and also it's going to adjust pricing. Um, it's also going to lead, if you will, to like a healthier planet Earth. So that's just simply good for everyone. Mm -hmm. And like you say, there's a lot of elements that have already come into play here, but what will be crucial for sustainable supply chains in terms of both financial resilience and ESG values in the years to come? So, you know, it's it's not just about intent, you know, it's it's you can go to, to press and say, I'm going to reach my ESG and I'm going to reach my climate net zero targets by 2030. I might even reach them ahead of time. Right. You know, but it's really kind of looking at both like the anchor companies that are in global supply chains and the investors that are investing in them. And so this is an important point is like if we're going to be monitoring for things like the suppliers' key performance indicators, the KPIs around ESG and sustainability, we will need to actually come together and look at how we can do this in a really consistent and auditable way. Right now, like the standards um, are something that our trade lab is working on. Um, we're working with some of like the really key um, committees and organizations that are getting up and again every day, like looking at this and driving these new standards across the board. So we know that one of the things that we can do is really take a look at just how this massive transformation related to sustainability and sustainable finance is really just meaning that we need to have even greater levels of collaboration. And that will be essential. And we need to establish and validate the KPIs. We need to set up those common goals and standards. We need to address this you know, across the entire supplier ecosystem. And that means, again, bringing together the banks, the regulators, the rating agencies, and the wider stakeholders. So a lot of work in front of us, Kimberly. <laughs> we, we need to get up and eat a hearty breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> and so we've talked a lot there around the things that need to be done and the things that already are being done to create a more sustainable way of doing business. But are there any examples of where companies or banks have excelled already in adopting sustainable working practices? Um, I could say um, there's a, a number of really uh, phenomenal um, efforts being, you know, I, I read a lot and I, I spend my weekends also reading an awful lot about what's going on in the marketplace. And I can say that, you know, there's a lot of things that really excite me. Um, the banks have not been sitting back. They have really, you know, pushed themselves into the forefront. But I also think that we're at an interesting crossroads right now. And the banks in particular, I think, and bankers themselves have a really very important role to play related to sustainability and climate change. So, you know, we know that, you know, when trade finance and trade in general, like that 
it's a guarantee of trillions of dollars of global trade annually. So we know that there's a lot of new types of product offerings that are coming onto the marketplace. So it's everything, like I mentioned, the sustainable supply chain financing, the sustainability link loans. These are all taking off as asset classes. This is like a major movement and it's really exciting. Um, and also for those bankers and corporate employees on the call, I would applaud those who have already started, if you will, greening your existing product offerings. I think that that's a great starting spot. And then I would also say, let's take a minute and really consider the top tier global banks for a minute. So if they make a move, others follow. That's just the, the statement of truth, right? These executives are already working with their committees and their bank policy team, and they're looking to issue new types of policies and practices that will disallow the bank's financing in certain industries. This is continuing to be something I'm reading more and more about. They're basically saying, we're just not going to participate in this particular industry. We've actually identified different types of suppliers that are, if you will, even deemed notorious polluters or generating types of toxic products. Basically, the banks are saying, hey, we're just going to restrict the financing or the financing options to these types of entities. And what that means is it may, yeah, it may not solve climate change, but it will make it harder for those types of entities to be able to, number one, get the type of capital that they need, or their cost of capital is going to go up significantly, and that will make them harder, it make it harder for them to compete. So one of the things too that we know is that as the top tier and the regional banks have already been signing up for the climate change mandates, again, that's just another trend and it's something that is really fabulous to see. But I, I've noticed as well in our talks with our own banks and with our own um, CGI clients, that there's a real struggle to sort of go from theory into tactical implementation. Um, and that's something that I would say that there's some really top tier corporations and top tier banks that have already, if you will, like really taken the bull by the horn and they're driving this into really practical application. And that means that they have the opportunity to also take their corporate clients along on the journey. So, and their supplier base. So it, I think in closing, I'd like to the listeners to simply remember that, you know, this is a, a combination of where we need to really focus on digitalization. We need to, you know, step up our collaboration between all of our different parties. I mean, we're all in this together, right? And we're going to be looking at how financing is very targeted and that we have a common purpose. There's opportunities for building the sustainable supply chains of the future. Um, and it's very encouraging. Um, the work is in front of us and we just have to have the urge to really confront some of these types of you know, past problematic behaviors um, that are really, if you stop and think about it, are often you know, really the root cause of climate change. Um, I also implore to the listeners too that every one of us must make that mental shift. Um, we, we need to be reading as much as we can to stay abreast of what's happening, educate ourselves. And, you know, one of the things that I think is also missing is people need to be talking more and more about climate change. So thank you, Kimberly, for inviting me, giving me a format to get everybody to better understand what's happening in the trade finance and trade and supply chain space. Um, and, you know, really at this point in time, it's about the $110 trillion green recovery that's already underway. And collectively, we can really make an impact. Um, we can basically, you know, I guess the simplest way to think of it is we can take and move planet Earth from illness to health. And we can also look at this as like going from challenge to renewal. 
So thank you again, Kimberly, for inviting me to spend time with you and your listeners. It's been a great honor and a pleasure. That's great. Thank you so much, Nancy. It's been great to hear from you. And you can keep up to date by subscribing to our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast, and follow our discussions at thebanker.com slash podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian-developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.